0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is December the 23rd, 2022, we're almost at the end of the year. Um, we're evaluating the year, and... Um, There's been some good news on the economic and political and cultural fronts, although on the scientific front, there's some bad news today, according to the Financial Times. um, China estimates that 250 million people have caught COVID in the last 20 days, which is actually an astonishing number. Um, And it reminds us of the importance of science, both in terms of fixing our problems and creating new problems. Uh, One of my favorite scientists is Lord Martin Rees. He was on the show uh, in October talking about the limits of science, why, in his view, the universe might even be too complex for humans, us humans, to ever understand. If anyone can understand the universe, it's Martin Rees. Um, He is the royal astronomer, a man of enormous talents. Uh, And the author of of many books. Uh, His latest is If Science Is To Save Us. He's also the author of On The Future uh, and many other books. Uh, Our Final Century can be quite pessimistic. And he's joining us from his home um, in the United Kingdom today, Martin. Uh, What kind of year has 2022 been for science? I know that's a, a broad question, but are there... High and low points. What particularly resonates with you in terms of the achievements of science in 2022? Is it going to be remembered as a vintage year? Yes. Well, to link with what you just
1: said, Andrew, about uh, COVID, uh, one thing that science has achieved this year is to get uh, wider publicity. And I think through the COVID pandemic, the public has got a better feel for science and the way that It can't answer all the questions at the beginning of the pandemic. It couldn't answer really any of the questions confidently. And ideas firmed up about whether you should wear masks. And, of course, vaccines were then developed, etc. And so it's been, I think, uh, a triumphant year for science in that respect. If we contrast it with the fact that 40 years after HIV was discovered, there's still no vaccine for that. So I think the scientists deserve some credit. Uh, for the way they've related to the public and politicians and tried to explain the uncertainties. But uh, um, the Chinese situation, of course, is different. It just indicates that there are a variety of ways in which one can handle a pandemic and maybe the Chinese aim was not the most uh, effective one.
0: But that's just... uh, Martin, um, is one of the achievements of 2022 the development of a, a universal flu vaccine that can protect us, according to the new scientist, against 20 strains, presumably also COVID. I mean, in the, in the not too distant future, will we all be going in for just one shot? This afternoon, I'm getting my COVID and my flu shot uh, yes, together. Yes, yes. So there's still no one shot to deal with all these things. Yes. Well, let me say I'm not an expert on this topic at all. Um, but I think
1: that's the way we are heading. Uh, we're understanding uh, viruses better and also how to make vaccines most effective. So I think we're heading in that direction. How fast we'll go and whether all uh, viruses uh, will succumb to vaccines, I just don't know. So let's
0: talk about breakthroughs, uh, uh, Martin. Uh, Yahoo had an an interesting piece on the 10 biggest scientific breakthroughs. They included that universal flu vaccine. What for you is... Great Greats. In addition to the way in which we've confronted um, COVID, what for you are are the great breakthroughs of, of 2022? Yes. Um, well, I'm an astronomer
1: and space scientist, and so uh, from my perspective, there's been a lot of excitement uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first, the uh, James Webb Telescope, the JWST, uh, was launched uh, almost exactly a year ago. To today, it was on Christmas Day, and uh, the launch was flawless, and the apparatus, which had to be unfurled and tested, uh, has proved to even surpass expectations, and so this is going to tell us a great deal of the early history of our universe, how galaxies formed. It's going to do something else, I think, which is probably equally exciting to most of us, which is finding a bit more about the planets which are orbiting other stars, because one of the most exciting developments in astronomy in the last 10 or 15 years has been realizing that most stars are orbited by a retinue of planets, just as the sun is orbited by the Earth and the other familiar planets of our solar system. And so we now know that in our Milky Way galaxy, there are literally billions of planets, rather like our Earth, orbiting stars Rather like our sun. And the nearest of those are going to be detectable by the James Webb telescope. And it'd be possible to take a crude spectrum analyzing the light from the planets, separating it from the much brighter star, and perhaps finding clues to whether there's any evidence for vegetation on any of those planets. And so that's an exciting development this year. Yeah,
0: we, uh, you and I talked about that uh, last time you were on the show, the limits science. of science. Um, are you guessing, Martin, that this web telescope will result in profound breakthroughs in how we make sense of the universe, maybe conceivably even the origins of it?
1: Uh, well, I wouldn't be quite so ambitious. I think if we look back over the last 50 years, there's been incremental improvements, some substantial breakthroughs, and some big surprises, of course. But I think uh, it's going to be important. And the good thing about it is that it'll have a 20-year lifetime. at first thought the lifetime of just 10 years, but uh, because the uh, the launch of the uh, the French Ariane rocket was so precisely aimed, the amount of fuel they had to use up in course corrections was less than they had budgeted for. And that means there's more left over for the uh, uh, the little puffs they have to give, give whenever they want to change its orientation. So it's got a potential 20-year life ahead of it. And in that time, of course, it'll be joined by other instruments in space and by even bigger telescopes on the ground. Uh, now being built in Chile is a telescope with a mirror 39 meters across. That's really enormous. And that'll collect even more light than the James Webb. And that will perhaps uh, give a further push to efforts to understand planets around stars. So uh, the astronomy has developed very much because of advances in instrumentation. Another thing which is important in astronomy and also in other sciences is the greater power of computers um, in two respects. First, straightforwardly to do simulations, to actually uh, uh, simulate how uh, something happens, uh, just as uh, of weather forecasts may try to simulate what happens in certain conditions to forecast the future. And so that can be done with greater precision now. And that helps us to understand how uh, looking at what the universe was like a long time ago and feeding that into the computer, you can then see what the computer says it should look like now. And the good news is that the computer uh, simulations do seem to at least get the present universe quite accurately, from evidence on the early universe, just an evidence with, on the right lines. So that's well, one
0: of the other big breakthroughs. I know this is probably a little out of your area is what the Atlantic are calling the dawn of, the dawn of artificial imagination. AI has come to right. life with now yes, and- bots where we can have intelligent conversations. Um, is AI important in terms of? Uh, these simulations that you're describing to make sense of the universe? Are are you as, uh, and the the astronomer community, um, are you using AI very much? Um,
1: Well, huge computer power is being needed to uh, analyze data and to do simulations. Um, AI, in a limited extent, because the good thing about AI is it can uh, um, reveal patterns in a lot of data, Uh, more efficiently than most humans can. I mean, in a quite different field, um, uh, if you've got lung cancer, it's more likely to be detected by a machine looking at the X-ray, which has already looked at 30,000 other uh, X-rays of other people's lungs, which is more than any doctor could look at in a lifetime. And so they can help in that sort of way. Um, I think if we look at the more exciting aspect of AI, uh, then it has been able to learn and solve problems which humans unaided can't solve. I mean, one in um, an important branch of uh, uh, bioscience is so-called protein folding, uh, to actually understand how very complicated molecules fold up because the, the shape they have is very important for how they uh, operate within cells. And this is a technology where the machines have already done much better than even the best human beings in uh, identifying and predicting correctly the the structure. So that's one case where they have. And I, being interested in um, fundamental physics and string theory, uh, look forward to the day when a machine will be able to uh, surpass any human and perhaps do calculations to test whether these theories are correct in a way that no human could in a lifetime. Because... The advantage which these um, AIs have is their speed, which means that uh, uh, they learn to become world champion chess players, for instance, just by uh, watching a few games and then playing against themselves thousands of times per second. That's the way that they that they develop their their skill, and that can be helpful in science. But you mentioned the um, uh, the recent excitement of the the improved. Um, uh, uh, Understanding of, of of human speech and uh, all that. The the uh, yeah, yeah uh, the, uh, the the, the, the,
0: the uh, OpenAI chatbot, open G- chatbot GPT. Right.
1: Yes, yes. Um, well, I mean, I, I think um, this is very impressive. Um, but I think it can be fooled because we've got to bear in mind that the way it's learned is by looking at huge amounts of text, and of course, it uh, it, it can be perhaps fooled. Um, because it's got no concept of the real things that the text refers to. And uh, they probably do better now because I know, but I do know that one of the early ones, uh, the the Watson computer of IBM, uh, it looked as though it was quite intelligent. But when it was asked, which is bigger, Mount Everest or a shoebox, it couldn't answer. And that's because all it can do is uh, uh, put words in the most plausible order, having uh, analysed and being able to access huge amount of, uh, uh, of writing on the internet. So I think we've got to realise that uh, what the computer is doing is understands which words come after which other words in the most likely context. And that is in itself enough to be able to write plausible prose. But it doesn't really mean that the machine is understanding anything or really has any concept of the real physical world yet. And that's why uh, it's a very long way uh, from the kind of intelligence we have as human beings.
0: Martin, one of the big stories of the year is nuclear fusion. Yes. Um, uh, Scientists, according to uh, one American publication, announced that a nuclear fusion breakthrough. Is this true? And how significant is it? Well, it's certainly a breakthrough. It's a
1: target that people have been aiming at for a long time, which is to... uh, uh, get out more energy than you pump in uh, and, and therefore uh, have a net gain of energy. And that's true in a sense of what's been done by these guys at Livermore. Uh, but it's a very, very long way from that to making any kind of uh, uh, practical nuclear fusion. Well, um, they've mentioned two or three things. Uh, first, um, the um, energy which they got from the uh, uh, mini-explosion Resulting from crashing together uh, something with uh, powerful lasers um, was more than the energy that actually went into the little capsule being compressed, but it still was nowhere near the amount of energy needed to fire up these huge lasers, which were needed to uh, uh, to squeeze the uh, uh, particle, the the, the capsule containing the uh, fusion material in the first place. So that's a long way to go. And the other point is that. It's not at all clear that fusion by this kind of technology can be scaled up, because what they're doing up till now is uh, making one of these little explosions every two weeks. If it's to be an effective power source, they've got to do this same thing 10 times a second and uh, avoid the whole thing getting too hot, etc. And that's a long way to go. So even though this is a significant step in a particular branch of technology, which incidentally is a branch of technology we mainly developed to test nuclear weapons uh, rather than for fusion power, um, then it's a long way to get fusion power from this technique. And I would still bet that we will get fusion power, but it'll come first from a different technique, um, the so-called magnetic confinement technique, which has been studied for decades. and. Is getting better and incidentally ai is helping there because the problem in uh, any fusion m- machine is to confine a very very hot gas and stop it escaping and it can be confined by very strong magnetic fields but the problem has been that the magnetic fields um, develop instabilities and uh, the hot gas leaks out within less than a second and that's no good but there have been some Uh, tests which show that AI can actually observe where the uh, magnetic field is going most unstable and apply some correction so as to stabilize it. So there again, uh, we are hoping for incremental improvements, um, but it's not yet the case that any magnetic confinement uh,
0: um, instrument has uh, generated more power than it needs. Martin, let's go back out in space, your particular field. uh, Lots of stories about technology or science that will allow us to alter asteroids' motion in space. This sounds science fictional. Is it true? Were there major breakthroughs in that field? If we find an asteroid that's about to crash into Earth, do we have the technology now to divert it?
1: Well, I think we, for a modest size one, we do. I think this was a, a rather neat experiment. Um, which I think was well worthwhile, uh, which uh, uh, found a small asteroid, one about 150 meters across, orbiting a bigger one. And what they did was they um, uh, zapped the uh, smaller one and obviously gave it a kick. And so that slightly changed its orbit around the larger one. And even though the kick it gave it was small, changed its speed by only Millimeters per second, or something like that. Then they were able to check that they'd done this because that has a cumulative effect on the orbit around the other asteroid. So they could actually work out how big a kick they'd given it, and that showed that this technique um, does actually have an effect. And you ask, is is this large enough to actually protect the Earth? Um, Well, if you uh, detect a small asteroid. a few years before it's predicted to hit the earth, then you only need to give it a tiny nudge at that time in order to deflect it enough that it'll miss the earth. And so uh, there is a category of uh, potential impacts which could be um, prevented by this kind of technique. So I think it's worthwhile doing. But having said that, um, let me emphasize that uh, asteroid impacts are rare And they're not what keeps me awake at night, but on the other hand, to spend about $300 million, as NASA did, on this interesting experiment, which is an insurance policy, as it were, that we could scale it up if necessary. I think that's worthwhile. And
0: that's one of the interesting things we've learned last year. Um, Talking about keeping you up at night, Martin, uh, (laughs) you're the author, of course, of Our Final Century. Very briefly, what is or what has been keeping you up at night as a scientist in terms of concern about the future of our species and the planet in 2022? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think my my line, since I wrote my, my
1: first book called Our Final Century, is that um, we can be scientific optimists, but political pessimists. I mean, I think I'm very optimistic as a scientist that uh, uh, we are um, uh, understanding the world, we never understand it completely, but we are understanding uh, the world better and better, and that allows us to um, make cleverer gadgets and deal with uh, health problems, etc., and uh, produce a better world. But the sad thing is that the gap between the way the world could be and the way the world is is getting wider rather than narrower because uh, uh, science is applied suboptimally, and uh, there are downsides. And the trick is that as the stakes get higher, as science gets more powerful, we have to uh, take the benefits but avoid the downsides. And one obvious case is um, uh, uh, in um, uh, making viruses and, um, and sorry, uh, making viruses uh, which you could do, you could make viruses more virulent and more transmissible than they are in nature. Now. That's something which people are already doing in order to understand the viruses and to make better vaccines against them. But uh, some uh, bad actor, as it were, could uh, make and release a virus more virulent and transmissible than natural viruses. uh, And that could be a real catastrophe. Uh, So Uh, that's an example of how the the scientific knowledge um, can be catastrophic. And we've got to make sure that we can uh, harness the knowledge benignly, to um, make better vaccines, as you said earlier, uh, and avoid any bad actor uh, trying to use the same knowledge to simply make a virus more deadly.
0: Martin, we've talked uh, earlier about uh, the promise of a a universal flu vaccine. Another area that people seem to think has been a major step forward in 2022 is the development of vaccines uh, 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 reducing malaria, infection and transmission. I, I know it's not really your area. Any, any, uh, any response on this one? Is it a major breakthrough? Is it important? Well, it's very important because I think uh, uh, many uh, people
1: who think about uh, global health, and of course a leader in this is Bill Gates, Yes, emphasise that um, uh, the effort of the medical profession and the allied research is disproportionately focused on wealthy nations and not enough on the infectious diseases which are crucial in the tropics and which can be coped with quite uh, uh, economically compared to some of the expenses devoted to rarer diseases. And so I think this is very good news and uh, I think we should hope that some of the... um, diseases which now kill literally millions uh, can be eliminated just as smallpox has been effectively eliminated and we need more focus on that and that's why the Gage foundation has been so valuable
0: um what about on the biotech front an enormously um a- a- enormously promising area i know again it's not necessarily your focus but Uh, one New York Times piece uh, this year talked about a reversible form of death scientists reviving cells in dead pigs organs is this a little bit over dramatic or is this a major breakthrough too Um,
1: well it's a small breakthrough but it does remind me that one thing that happened this year was that um, uh, three laboratories were set up called Altos laboratories um, two in California and one in Cambridge, near where I'm speaking from, and these are funded by billionaires, and their main aim is to understand how to extend the lifespan. Uh, now, so this uh, is sort of Kurzweilian in a sense, yes, it's Kurzweilian in a way, yes. Um, and uh, 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 it will probably tell us something about the aging process, um, but if it has a dramatic effect, if it turns out that aging is a disease that can be cured. Completely, then of course this raises vast uh, um, ethical uh, concerns, especially if only a privileged few can uh, have a much longer lifespan than the rest of us. Uh, so it's it's uh, something which we hope won't succeed. But of course it's funded by these billionaires, and uh, uh, as I put it, when they were young they wanted to be rich. Now they're rich, they want to be young again, uh, mm. and that's not so easy. Um, and of course. Uh, it's not fully Kurzweilian because uh, Kurzweil, um, of course, um, uh, doesn't believe this is going to come in his lifetime. I think he's in his 60s already. I'm
0: not sure. Yeah, And, and using that phrase carefully, lifetime, right? <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: but but uh, he, he wants his body frozen in liquid, liquid nitrogen by this company called, I think, Alcor in Arizona, which will do this sort of thing um, so that he can be resurrected. Uh, when he can be revived, or when his brain can be downloaded into a computer, or something like that. Uh, well, good luck to him, but <laughs> I don't think this is this is very likely. Uh, and I like uh, I, I know a, a couple of um, my Oxford colleagues. I'm glad they're Oxford, not in Cambridge, who um, have paid good money in order to be frozen. In liquid nitrogen when they die by this company
0: are they um, unwise martin are they um hubristic but
1: well i mean i think uh, th- they would say that the chance of being immortal is zero if you don't do this maybe it's slightly above zero if you do um but uh, uh, i think it's it's uh, uh, unlikely um uh, i tell them i'd rather end my days in the english churchyard than in a california refrigerator And I'm rather amused by the way in which uh, these people, um, they they carry a sort of pendant around their neck all the time, which is a signal that if they drop dead, their body is supposed to be grabbed and uh, frozen at liquid nitrogen temperatures as soon as possible. Uh, So uh, I don't think that's a realistic... (laughs) uh, Uh,
0: It's certainly not. Yesterday we had Vivek Wadwar, an Indian Californian entrepreneur, on, doing a lot of work in the area of... um, Cancer science, and 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 he believes we we could be close to breaking through on on cancer. Where are we, uh, Martin? In 2022, again, a New York Times piece ran about um, a, a trial, great success of a trial on the rectal cancer front. Are we close to what people call a cure for cancer, or is that a term which is just? Um, very com- I- incorrect, inaccurate, over dramatic. Well, I mean,
1: uh, again, I'm not an expert at all, um, but I have lots of. Uh, but you ex- know more th- than
0: most of us, Martin. So That's why we're talking but- to you. Um,
1: no, there are exciting developments. Some things are curable that they weren't. And uh, they're thinking about whether uh, certain kinds of uh, vaccines can, in effect, um, suppress the uh, uh, growth of cancer cells, etc. So um, there is progress being made. Um, and um, whether cancer will be entirely eliminated, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on that. But I think the uh, prospects for those who contract cancer are getting better all the time. And that, that is good news. And this is a su- succession of maybe modest size advances rather than some grand advance. But uh, we always hope for a grand advance. And I think they're good that so many capable people are working on this topic. Uh,
0: Mark, you described 2022 as a triumphant year for science. What is the great triumph? I'm guessing for you, it's the Webb Telescope, because so near and dear to your heart. Um, Does Webb Telescope get the the award for the great scientific breakthrough of 2022?
1: Well, I think if you uh, ask what happened in 2022, that will have uh, the biggest effect on our understanding of the, the world and the universe cumulatively, then I would put the James Webb telescope because, uh, as I said, it's going to uh, last for 20 years and it will perhaps discover at least as much as the Hubble telescope or any other instrument. Uh, so I'm very optimistic about us um, uh, filling in the details of how our universe over time of about 13.8 billion years evolved from some hot, amorphous, dense structure, uh, into the, um, complex cosmos we see around us and of which we are a part. So I think we're going to fill in that story and, uh, that's very complicated. We've got to understand how stars and planets form. And of course the even greater problem of how life forms on some of those planets and life evolves, but also there's the other, um, uh, line of attack, which is, we'd like to understand why the universe is expanded the way it is. Uh, we, we, we know what the universe was like back to when it was a nanosecond old, with a great deal of confidence. But a hell of a lot happened in the first nanosecond, and we'd like to understand that. And the problem is that the conditions then were so extreme that we don't have a foothold in experimental physics. Conditions were far more extreme than we could produce in the lab. And so uh, we don't know uh, what the structure of material was at those very early times. But key things of the universe, like why it's expanding the way it is, um, why it has the contents it does, um, atoms, radiation, and some other mysterious particles, we don't understand that. And uh, there again, that's something where we can hope for another big step forward. Because um, when I was starting... My research 50 years ago, it wasn't clear whether there'd been a Big Bang at all, whereas now uh, I could talk about the first second of the universe with as much confidence as a geophysicist can uh, give when they speak about the early history of our Earth. That's been tremendous progress. And so in the next 50 years, let's hope there is some more. But of course, um, as I think we mentioned in our earlier conversation, there could be some uh, uh, phenomena which are um, either never observable in principle, or which are just too difficult for us to understand. Um, These could be processes that are important in the early universe. Um, They could, of course, be um, processes which are uh, important in understanding how our brain works, because our brain is the most most complicated thing we know of in our universe. And
0: it could be that... Uh, um, Yeah, uh, that's an interesting observation. Our brains being the most complicated... Thing we know in the universe um M- martin uh, i guess james webb could be described as the scientist of the year but um you know it the, the the telescope came into being uh after i guess he invented it is is there a scientist of the year? you mentioned bill gates as a funder of science is there yes. one scientist who for you somehow captures the triumphant spirit of 2022 i don't think so and in fact i, I tend to
1: uh, uh be critical of the cult of personality in mm. science. Um, uh, you know, maybe some people make breakthroughs, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the team weren't important. Just as someone scores a goal in football, it doesn't mean the other players weren't important. Um, and, and so I think uh, um, what one uh, uh, change I'd like to make is to eliminate major prizes. In fact, there's a chapter in my book my book called It It Science is to Save Us, which says that big prizes like the Nobel's do more harm than good, because they give the idea firstly that um, that the people who win these prizes um, are all the great intellects of science rather than, in many cases, some are just lucky, but they also um, uh, give the misleading impression that very much of science is done by individuals, whereas most of it is a a team effort, either one very large team, uh, as in particle physics or in astronomy, um, or lots of people working uh, in an informal way together. Uh, So I think um, we have to realise that the the public is given a rather incorrect impression of how science is done uh, by the hype that these particular prizes achieve. And I think we got uh, we either have to have less or, or well one thing which is happening which is probably good is that now a lot more prizes. Uh, which yeah. Do you we don't want to give everyone
0: a prize. Then become like California Martin, and everyone gets a prize, however bad they are. Let, let's end on 2023. Um, you've described 2022 as a triumphant year. What would you like to see happen in 2023 to make it equally? triumphant, even you can't see into the future, but you can imagine some breakthroughs. What areas do you think when you and I talk again in in late December 2022, what areas do you think we'll be celebrating?
1: Well, I think there are going to be advances in um, uh, AI and information technology um, and in molecular biology and in health. Um, But I, I think what's going to become a more stark issue is how these technologies are applied, in particular um, how information technology is applied and what it does for inequality right. in the world, and uh, how we try to reduce um, the, um, uh, uh, the the uh, effect it has on the labour market and things like that. But one thing we haven't talked about is that we need to focus on the big challenges to the world, which are coming up in the next half century anyway. One is one which is very well discussed, which Mm -hmm. is um, uh, global warming and all that. We've got to deal with it. And that requires an acceleration of technology um, in all aspects of clean energy generation, um, batteries and uh, solar cells and all that. So that can be affordable by the nations of the global south. because They're the ones who are going to be wanting more energy we can get by with less than we have, but they've got to want more. We've got to make sure they can jump start to clean energy, just as they uh, jumped uh, straight to mobile phones and never had landlines. So that's very important. And another issue which uh, is on the agenda because there was an important conference in Montreal just. Uh, yeah, carbon is, is a biodiversity uh, that if we aren't careful, um, we're going to. Um, erode the
0: variety of there We talked to Tony Hiss, a prominent American environmentalist yesterday about that.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a serious issue. Um, and uh, uh, I'd like to quote the great ecologist E.O. Wilson, who says that mm. uh, if our actions cause mass extinctions, it's the sin that future generations will least forgive us for. And of course, incidentally, it is going to motivate expansion of technology
0: in things like uh,
1: artificial meat.
0: And intentionally... Yeah, I was going to talk about synthetic meats, Probably a subject for another, <laughs> uh, another a conversation. Oh, there, but, yes. uh, the synthetic meat is, of course, offers great promise. Although not everyone wants it, so that's another important area. So you'd like to see some developments there on what on the consumer side, I'm guessing.
1: Um, well, I think obviously to uh, to make it a good simulation, so to taste good as well, and so that people will be able to afford it and will choose to afford it. Um, if it just ends up as pet food, that's not going to be so exciting. Um, so we, we want to make sure that it um, uh, uh, can really uh, reduce the need for, uh, for, for beef in the traditional way. And also, I think we want very much to um, ensure that we can have intensive, sustainable agriculture, so if we don't need to encroach too much on natural forests and can meet the target set at montreal of uh, keeping a fraction of the world uh, in its natural state excellent